0: We turn to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. We're going to look at John. Uh, this is a continuation of this morning. So if you weren't here this morning, you can uh, go back and catch that. I'm going to move a few music stands away. There we go. John chapter 1 will be later in the chapter. We're going to look at Christ as men brought their friends, their relatives to Jesus, the response of those and the response of Jesus in this. This morning we dealt with the concept that a growing Christian tells. A growing Christian will tell what Christ has done for, for him or for her. And as I look at this passage, we see a couple different responses uh, to, to Jesus. And we're going to walk through this, and then I'm going to I'm going to kind of step back a bit and look at something that uh, we looked at, in my notes, it's 2010, in fact, we're going to have throwback Sunday, usually it's Thursday, we're going to have throwback Sunday, we're going to go way back to a a different logo and a different time, there we go, and the, by the way, the center bulb is burned out, so you get on the side, yeah, Marty had this for us for, right at the beginning, and then we over time, evolves to different things here. So um, let's stay right there and let's go to John chapter one. John chapter one. Begin our reading in verse thirty-five. Again, the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, "Behold, the Lamb of God." And two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned to them, saw, and saw them following, and said to them, "What do you seek?" And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came, and they saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. And one of the two who heard G- John speak, followed him, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. Verse 41, He found first his own brother Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee, and he found Philip. And and Jesus said to him, Follow me. Now Philip, who was from Bethsaida, of the city of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, "'Come and see.' And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, "'Behold, an Israelite, indeed, in whom there is no deceit.' And Nathanael said to him, "'How do you know me?' And Jesus answered and said to him, "'Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you.' Nathanael answered him, "'Rabbi, you are the Son of God, you are the King of Israel.' Jesus answered and said to him, "'Because I said to you that I saw you under the fig tree,' Do you believe? You will see greater things than these. He said to him, Truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Let's bow for prayer and ask God's help as we understand his word today. Gracious God, by your mercy, Father, give us an understanding of those who would seek Jesus and an understanding of those who do not seek Jesus but who need Jesus. Father, there is a world around us that is in great need. And you have given us the opportunity and the privilege and the responsibility to tell. So Lord, help us in our faithfulness to that mission. Give us the training and the tools to do so. And Father, may we glorify you as we do tell. Which in Christ name I pray. Amen. We have talked on many occasions that our purpose is to glorify God. Our purpose is to glorify God. And we do so with embracing the mission that Jesus has given to us, and that is to make disciples. Now, we have contextualized it in our our situation. We say reaching souls and building lives in love. And that's the dual track of the Great Commission. The reaching and the building, the discipling. And so as we think of this, we think of this passage in John 1 of those who would bring others to see Jesus and those who sought Jesus. You see at first, you see two disciples who were who were followers of John the Baptist, they break off from John the Baptist and follow Jesus at the beginning. And that's here you know, when Jesus asked them in 38, who do you seek? But you see what happens, this effect of, of those who follow Jesus, who, were, who as God met them, as Jesus met them in their sin, but also in their need, he relates himself, but we see primarily tonight, I want to see how people bring others to Christ. Okay, we're going to title the Seeking as Jesus Sought, from John one forty three. Yeah, first the example of Jesus. Jesus is, is noticing those who are following him. He is, he is clued into the fact that, they, that there are those, sorry, it's a little small here, there are those um, who are following him. Obviously, he's come for this. And so as he, as he comes and as he preaches and teaches, he is mindful of those who come. And you notice here that as they come, he says, Come and see. In fact, later on, that's why one of the disciples says to his brother, Come and see. You notice that Jesus invites people to come and look at him and to examine him. He doesn't meet them always with you need to do this, this, and this. He said, Come, see, observe who I am. And that is often the case that we have. We have we have the opportunity to tell people to come and observe Jesus. You've heard a lot of things about Jesus, but do you know Jesus? Come. Come see Him. Come look to see who He is. Who He really is. So we have the example of Jesus, but we have the example of Philip. You find that in verse 43. And as, uh, as, as he finds Philip there, Jesus said, follow me. So, um, this one here, uh, Andrew, and then, uh, then Simon, Peter comes. Then he, Jesus finds Philip. He says, follow me. And this is the time where Jesus is calling his disciples. He says, follow me. And so Philip does. But look what Philip does in verse 45. He finds Nathanael. And he says, we have found him whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so as we see the example of Philip we see the response of Nathaniel, And the response is not one quite so favorable. And he says, uh, he's skeptical. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? It was not the best place. It was the a, uh, a place where there was no of importance. Um, and you would say, you would look at that and say, there is nobody who comes from Nazareth, from the Old Testament, that would be one of importance. There's nobody that would cause us to think, reading through the Old Testament, that someone would come, unless you look at uh, certain portions of Isaiah on the north country, the light shines. So he he realizes that, but Philip is not discouraged. He says, just come, come and see. Verse 46, 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. So, as Nathaniel points the skeptic to Jesus, come and see, Jesus then interacts with them. Do you know, we are not responsible for someone receiving Christ. We are not responsible for them understanding the gospel. We are responsible to introduce them to Jesus, to give them the word of truth from Jesus of who he is and how he loved and his grace so that they may. Come to know him, but we're not responsible for their coming to know him. We are to be faithful in this. Now, skepticism is all around us. Like, as, I, uh, as we've often talked about in our country, um, under 30 years of age, one in three have no religious affiliation, and far, far fewer have any tied to an Orthodox. Uh, understanding of the scripture and so instead of being discouraged those are many opportunities especially if you are are of the age of under 30 there are many people around you who have not followed any doctrine not followed any religion but who need to come and see jesus sometimes i think that discourages us and yes we would love to have the numbers greater But think of the opportunities that we have. Tonight, I want to give you some tools um, from a book that was written a few years back, but some tools on how to uh, talk to people who do not know Christ and how to kind of evaluate where they are in their spiritual journey. Now, probably most of us have had the situation where someone has been very caustic to us and really antagonistic to the gospel. And then other times we have people who are just... um, You know, you do your part, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. They really don't care, just kind of agnostic to it. You know, they're not antagonistic. Others you encounter really want to know. They're searching and discovering. Uh, A number of years ago, not too far back, 2003, just seems a while back, um, they've updated it some. Tom Rainer wrote a book called The Unchurched Next Door. And in that book, he set out um, to give us an understanding based on surveys based on interviews of those who are unchurched. And there's some some surprising information that came out of that. And so he has developed what he called, or maybe the people who worked for him called, the Rainer Scale. It's a scale from one to five of receptivity to the gospel. And I found this helps me as I'm talking with someone to kind of peg them of where they are, uh, what they're thinking about Jesus, and how to respond to them. How, when, to, when to, to give the gospel, when to, to show love and care, uh, how I am to do this. And so we're going to walk through this, walk through the scale. If you want to take notes, that's great. I think it will be helpful to you. Uh, and I hope that as we do this, this will give you some understanding and that you'll be able to, as Phillips uh, realized, to come and see, to bring people to Jesus, you'll understand how to, um, how to respond to them. Understand, this is a classification of faith stages. Those who are coming to faith, hopefully, or those who are outside of the faith, but it's a, it's a classification of stages. So, they're coming. Um, and so, we have this guide here. First, understand we're talking about those who are unchurched. These are non-attending, what we might call unbelievers. They're not followers of Christ. Okay? So, as they, they interviewed, they interviewed thousands, they interviewed people, they... They said, okay, we want you if, you, if you know Christ, then we're not going to talk to you, okay? No, we'll talk to you, but we're not going to interview you for the study. We're going to, we're going to make this um, only those who are unchurched and unbelieving. So that will kind of help you give. So number, uh, the first one we want to go to is U5. A U5 individual is someone who is highly resistant to the gospel and has an antagonistic attitude. Someone highly resistant to the gospel we're going to walk down, down through here. And, and here's a quote. They, a U5 would say, why don't you keep your stupid beliefs in the Bible out of my faith?" A face? Um, this was a quote from Francis, who's a U5 from Massachusetts. This is kind of the, the U5 is the antagonism that says, don't talk to me. In fact, don't talk to me. It's more than don't talk to me. It's, it's stop bothering me with that. How do you respond to somebody that's antagonistic? I'll let you work on that a little bit. U4. U4 is resistant to the gospel, but really doesn't have an antagonistic attitude. They're resisting, but um, they, they'll say things like this I think I could stomach you Christians better if you would not say your way is the only way. So they're resistant to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they're not going to fight you about it. We'll have a conversation. Uh, about two years ago, I had a conversation with someone who was just in this spot. Uh, he would say, I think it's presumptuous for Christians to send missionaries to other lands to tell them what to believe. And so, I won't tell you what I told him then, but just, it was, it was an open door for opportunity to explain. But U5, they're not going to fight you, but they're, they're, they're going to resist. U3. Three. U3 three is um, no apparent receptivity, neutral, but perhaps open to discussion. And they'll things, say things like this. Sure, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I have no problem with the church. It's just I don't need church in my life. It's just not my thing. So you three is kind of like, Meh, you do your thing, I'll do my thing. You know, everybody has a path and uh, yours is just not mine. And so they're not, they're not antagonistic. They're not even resistant. They're just kind of neutral. You know, there's really no spiritual curiosity there at all. And so you can talk to them and they will be relatively unharmed by it. They won't mind, they'll talk to you about it, but it's just, they won't think a, th- a thing about it after you walk away. So, you two this is the next one. You two. You have two persons, receptive to the gospel. In fact, they're receptive and friendly to the church. Someone who's at you two, the scale as you see where the scale's going, they're, they actually are, are, are really open to it. And they'll say things like, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I just believe it's better to worship alone than to go to a church. Okay? So, very spiritual. In fact, in the Pew Research in, in 2012, 8 in 10 said they believed in God or a universal spirit or a higher spirit. 8 in, eight in ten out of 10 was said they had some sort of spirituality. And you too would seem like that. Now, they're, they're going to lean more to there's God and Jesus rather than some, some force. You too. And then, as you can tell, you one is highly receptive to the gospel. They're very friendly. They're, they're like the Philippian uh, jailer that we talked about this morning. You know, what must I do to be saved? In fact, um, one of the, the quotes in, in the book is this. He said, before this interview is over, will you tell me how I can become a Christian? And that the, the, the work God has done in their heart and life, they are ready to receive Christ. And so here's the scale. Now, this is a couple years old now, uh, if you can see it on the screen. so Here are the percentages. As they did the surveys, it's not like you'd think. Sometimes we, we encounter the antagonistic ones, and we think they're all <laughs> there. But they're, in their survey of 1,000 people or more, I can't remember the exact number, 5% were antagonistic. 21% were resistant. 36 were neutral. 27 were friendly. 11% were very friendly. So if you look at the bottom three, the neutral friendly and the very friendly, about 74% of those who are in this bottom three, they're not antagonistic, they're not even resistant. They're either neutral friendly or very, very friendly to the gospel. Now, that, that kind of changes how we think about telling. It kind of changes what we think about because often we are afraid of the u 5 the okay, uh, not only are they going to be antagonistic, but they're going to be physically antagonistic. You know, uh, They're going to throw me off their porch. They're going to throw coffee at me as I'm in a coffee shop. Nah. Most of them, they'll be verbally, but they're not going to be... Um, they're not going to be really violent on that. But to think about that, 74% of the people they surveyed of unchurched, of unbelievers, were in the neutral, friendly, or very friendly category. Which... It opens the door to a lot, a lot of telling, doesn't it? So, how do you reach this? How do you reach those people? Here's some strategies that we can talk about, and how do we talk to people knowing that, um, <clears throat> knowing that there is a process. Um, sometimes we talk about, um, as we serve in the church, we talk about the principle of the chain, uh, and uh, just kind of—it's a story, um, a title. To st- from a story that, that Billy Graham told. A lady came up to him and said, you know, oh, you're so wonderful. You preach and thousands come to, to, to Christ. And, and um, he said, ma'am, it's not that way at all. I just happened to be the, the final one. So 20 people ago, someone gave the gospel. And that very per- person gave the gospel to the person and, and they, they resisted. And then God sent possibly 20 other people along the way to share the love of Christ along the way. And I just happened to be this time the recipient of the one who was able to preach the gospel, and they received. But if you think about this scale as the process of people coming to Christ, it helps us with how we respond. So how do we respond to someone who is very antagonistic, who has an antagonistic attitude? Well, I think that's fairly easy. We, under, we respond with giving them time. These people are often dealing with difficult issues. Um, They're often dealing with very hard things in their lives. And, and it could be their antagonist because I think God has abandoned them and there is no God because why would a, a, a holy God, or a good God do these things or allow these things in their lives? And so you give them time, but you also have to kind of work on your apologetics. You have to understand exactly... Um, how to answer those things. So U5 is really is a, it's a challenge for us to show love in the face of antagonism, in the face of, of anger often, to show love to them and to give them time. Understanding to press them now, make a decision now, is, is not going to be very effective at all. They're, they're not going to understand or, or be receptive to it. And so you deal with them by, by showing love. Hey, I... What's going on? Is there something in your life? Well, this person's sick. Or this person, something's happened here. Um, Those kind of things. And so you have that response. And so you take time. You care for them in such a way that it keeps the door open down the road. You four. Twenty-one percent are resistant to the gospel but not antagonistic. So how do you reach those people? Well, discuss eternal issues. Discuss eternal issues. You know, we, they, they found in the study that you four people did have a, a thought about the future. You know, they're very resistant, not antagonistic, but resistant, but they did think about what would happen. You know, do, do we really just kind of go away to nothing, or is there, a, there, is there an end? Is there a God? So give clarification on who Jesus is. And uh, often they are, they are struggling with that Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. So you talk to him about who Jesus is, that he was God. He is God himself. And he is the only way. And you deal with the exclusivity of, of Christ. But he says, I am the, the way, the truth, and the life. But also you, you, you present that with Jesus being the only God. You tell him, search the, all religions of the world. Is there another God who, would, who has sacrificed himself for the sins of mankind? No. Every other God requires us to work and work hard for salvation, for any eternal life. No one says, no other God says, I have provided a way through my own death for you. So deal with those issues. You three. No apparent receptivity, neutral, perhaps open to discussion. And so those who are in the youth three category need clarity in understanding the gospel. Sometimes invite them to church. They may not come, they may come, Um, but invite them to church. It was interesting in the survey, They said seven out of ten of them had a concern about hell. They had thought more than life after death, but is there a heaven or hell? They're concerned about this, but still fairly neutral. Let's see what all the religions say about this. So give them clarity. How do you understand the gospel? Let me tell you what Jesus did in my heart. In fact, in all of these situations, in all the situations there, giving your personal testimony of how you received Christ is the most effective. Uh, They can argue a lot of different things, but they can't argue argue what Christ did in your heart. They can't say, no, that didn't happen in your heart. uh, This is what, they weren't there. So give them the gospel. Give them your your personal testimony. So you choose receptivity, they struggle with work salvation. You two people um, in that category would say, Man, I'm working hard. I'm doing a lot of good things. Won't God love me? Won't He receive me? And so they struggle with, I have to work my way to heaven instead of salvation as a free gift of God received by God's grace through faith. They would struggle with that. So help them understand what Jesus has done. Invite them to a Bible study and go with them. Hey, let's go study the Bible together. Let's study the Bible together. And if they happen to be a family member, you know, family members are very influential in these situations for those who might be classified as U2. Of course, U1, probably the easiest. Obviously, tell them about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. Invite them to church or a Bible study. 97% of those surveyed who qualified as a U1 said they would attend church if invited. 97%. God has been doing a work in their heart. Okay? So He's drawing them to Himself and He desires for you to tell them and for you to invite them. Now, I'm not saying the church is the only way that they're going to receive Christ. It could be that you say, well, before we get to church, they, they say, well, could you tell me how to get saved now? Like the one did. Before the end of the interview, can you tell me how the gospel um, can save my heart my soul? What's effective? in evangelism. Sorry, small type again. Prayer. Number one prayer. Keys to effectiveness as you deal with those who do not know Christ. Prayer. Prayer. It is the work of God in our heart that saves a person. It's not our persuasiveness. And if we talk them into a false profession, we're going to get just that. A false profession. Can't wrestle and twist their arm. But we have to be telling. Secondly, team up for prayer and accountability. So it's effective as you and uh, someone else take up the opportunity to pray for someone that you're dealing with. And in fact, that's the, probably one of the best ways is that if uh, you have someone that's a burden on your heart, praying for them to receive Christ, and someone else, the same thing, partner with each other. Say, I will, we will pray together for these individuals They'll know Christ. Next one is resist the fear of rejection. Okay? In our minds, everybody's a U five. Everybody has boxing gloves on. Okay. And that's not really not the case. It's really not the case. Everybody's not a U five. So resist the fear of rejection. Understand they're not rejecting you, they're rejecting Jesus. And understand that we probably rejected Jesus for a while too before we came to Christ. And someone was patient with us. And someone gave the gospel to us. And someone showed love to us and and expressed grace and mercy for quite some time, possibly, before we came to Christ. Resist that fear of rejection. Next one is develop relationships. Be active. Be intentional in developing relationships with others who do not know Christ. Get out of your bubble. Okay? Get out of your bubble. Um, it's enjoyable to spend time with Christians because they think alike, like you and they're hopefully kind and loving. And uh, get out of the bubble. Develop relationships with those who do not know Jesus. Intentionally. Invite them. Invite them. Take the opportunity. Hey, we're having some friends over. Come have dinner with us. Um, and don't surprise them. Hey, we're going to have a Bible study. Or hey, come with me to church. I think you'd like to meet a few friends. Live consistently. One of the most effective things that you can do is live consistently. To show love, to show grace, to show mercy. To be focused on the gospel. We talked this morning. If we let things distract us, most obvious this week, politics. If we um, divide people, by, our, by their politics and hate them because they don't agree with us, whichever way you happen to uh, agree, uh, think, that's a distraction from the gospel. That's a distraction from the gospel. Okay, yes, we want a righteous society, but we're not going to get it through legislating laws. Okay, we just can't have really moral people, and a moral society is not a saved, not a regenerate society. Okay, so live consistently. Okay, so live before them in such a life. They'll be watching you. Isn't that scary? They'll be watching you and saying, you know, is, does she really live out what she says she believes? Does he really live out what he says he believes? Consistent life before others. Oh, and did I mention invite? Invite. See, God has given us this opportunity. He has, as we mentioned this morning, You shall receive power that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses. And look at the locality around our county, our state, not quite, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Samaria wasn't part of the state, but that's okay. You'll understand our city or country. But you shall be my witnesses. You are the ones that God has left. I am the ones, part of the ones that God have left behind for us to minister to those who know Jesus. It's a serious undertaking that we have. It's a serious thing. You know, there's a couple surprises in the, in the uh, study. So most of the unchurched prefer to attend church on a Sunday if, morning if they attend. They're busy other times. Sundays tend to be free. and That's when they expect church to be. And it's funny because those who are unchurched have probably a higher standard for church people than church people do often. Okay? So they're like, church is on Sunday. Um even though we meet other times, that's fine. Um, it's interesting. Um, females tend to be likely to either be most antagonistic or most receptive. They're all of nothing. And <laughs> I think these guys are sort of like, eh, yeah, don't bug me, okay? But they're not going to engage you sometimes. Sometimes they will. I've had those engaged. Um, another thing, number three, most unchurched people feel guilty about not attending church, although that number is declining over time, okay? So if you live in, like, the South, you see your neighbors go, and well, maybe I should go. Well, maybe next week, next month. Maybe next week. 82% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church if they are invited. I think this is the most important point that Ringer points out is, are we inviting? The statistic is only 21% of active churchgoers invite anyone to church in the course of a year. only 21% of active churchgoers invite anyone to attend church with within over a year. Okay? And only 2% of the church members invite an unchurched person to church. Okay? So, yeah, we're, it's a whole lot easier to invite someone who thinks, uh, that we think they're a Christian to come to church with us, right? That's a whole lot easier. But only 2% of, of this time of this study, only 2%, would invite an unchurched person. That comes back to us. As growing believers, as a believer who is following Christ, and becoming more Christ-like in every aspect, we must have the heart of Christ. We must have the heartbeat of Christ, the heartbeat of the early disciples to love people enough to tell them of Jesus. To say, come and see. And the easiest way really is, hey, come and see. Come, come attend church. Come attend a Bible study. Come see Jesus come see who we are, why we celebrate Him, why we love Him. So we have to to ask ourselves, are we lazy or just apathetic? If we don't invite, are we we lazy because it's just too much trouble or do we not care? Either one of those are not uh, very good answers to the question. Um, In the surveys they found that very few unchurched people I've had someone share with them how to become a Christian. And Christians have not been particularly influential in their lives. Um, and I, this is countrywide. For a time, I think South was anomaly, but not much anymore. Okay? Oddly enough, most unchurched people have a positive view about pastors and ministers in church in spite of the negative media and the negative experiences of church. Um, Pick a, just a few more. Uh, the attitudes of unchurch are not correlated to the, where they live, their ethnic or racial backgrounds, or their gender. So they're not monolithic. And many of the unchurch are far more concerned about the spiritual well being of their children than themselves. Elmer's a 32 year old and works as a bank loan officer. He says, I know these neighbors go to church. Elmer continues, we talk about a, b- a bunch of stuff. But I've never heard them say anything about their church, God, or anything religion, religious. Why is that? If church matters so much to them, why don't they ever say anything about it? So, you're called to be witnesses. Okay? All of life is a platform for the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we grow, we tell. May we be telling this week. That's us bow for prayer. Gracious God, thank you so much for your love and for your mercy. Thank you for who you are. Thank you that you have loved us with an everlasting love and that you have sent your son to die upon the cross for us. And As we, um, we studied this morning, we have such a great debt of gratitude that we owe. And oh God, thank you for loving us enough. Lord, may we love others enough to give them the gospel. Maybe we be willing to tell go to people across the street or around the corner. May we be willing to share the gospel with them. Father, thank you for your love and for your mercy, for your great work and grace in our lives. We pray that you would, by your mercy, invigorate us. Give us the zeal. Give us your power, your grace, to tell others about our great and loving Savior. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.